0: The Adventure of the on
2: W4CY you. Wake up, America! It's time for the Adventures of Pipe Man on W4CY.com, West Palm Beach's number one internet radio station. Here's your host, the Pipe Man. This is the Pipe Man here on the Adventures Pipe Man W4CY Radio, and I'm here with our next guest. Uh, And I love that we're doing this interview because I love music, I love metal music, but I also love when people are highly educated in music and just highly educated, period, but highly educated in music so that they can create something that is, like, forever lasting and has actual you know, technical theory to it and everything. So let's welcome to the show, Dr. Death and Madame Chamville.
1: Hello. Thanks Hello. Thanks for having us.
2: How are you? And I think I still kind of butchered your, your name a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: actually, that was fine. That
2: was
3: pretty good, actually. Yeah.
2: Okay, good. I, I was, you know, it's like, it's funny, too, when sometimes when you get stuff in your head, and then you, you're like, okay, I'm ready. And then something else comes out of your mouth. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh,
1: yes. I've been
3: there. Yeah, But we're doing awesome. Thank you so much for having us on here.
2: Oh, my pleasure. And you guys both have gone through PhD programs in music theory. Am I correct? Correct.
3: Yeah. Theory and composition at the University of Alberta.
2: So, yeah. What I love about that is I've talked about and forget, not even just on the radio, just in general with people, especially people that don't understand metal, that metal is actually a derivative of classical music. And like some people look at you like they should put you in a mental asylum for that. But you guys can testify to that being that you are educated in music theory.
3: Absolutely. Um, our specialty is in avant-garde chamber music. The both of us, although I concentrated more on the early 20th century, and Madame Chanville was more concentrated in the later 20th century with the um, uh, spectralist movements and the more noise-oriented movements
2: of the uh, postmodernists.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, instrumental music, concrete, and all that. Yeah.
2: Nice. Definitely. So I got I got a good question for you then. Have you guys both heard? the first, like, music or song ever recorded? Ever recorded?
3: Uh, that That's a tough one. I mean, like, when it goes back to, to wax cylinders and things like that, one of the first was a famous composer of the early 20th century and one of the first ethnomusicologists ever, Bela Bartok. He would walk around to all the different uh, Hungarian gypsy tribes and record them. Wow. I heard a little bit of that, but... The first, I don't know, that would be hard to nail down. So what? Yeah, you, ha-
2: I have no idea. Yeah, well, you know what you got to do when we get done with this interview is Google search it cuz that's I did that once. I just uh-huh. Google search like the first song ever. And this thing came up, it was like, I don't know, this was recorded I I can't remember, but it's like early, early thousands of years ago. And it was it was you would find it rather interesting cuz it's definitely avant-garde but it really wasn't much of anything either it was like it wasn't something like you would put on the radio and sit there and jam out to it was more of (laughs) what it was more of and it made me think when you said noise because it was it was more of noise but I was like so fascinated by it because I'm like wow look at where we've come from that
3: that's so cool I'm gonna have to look that up right after yeah
1: me too now yeah.
2: Keep my interest there <laughs> yeah it's, it's pretty wild uh you know it, it's like you guys will be in shock if you've never heard it because it, it i can't even describe it right now because i can't remember the exact sound in my head but it was just i just remember like wow that's really primitive it was like <laughs> you that know? sounds
1: amazing
2: yeah totally so and I gotta tell you, too, that I kind of love that you are Canada's most despicable, extreme metal band. <laughs>
3: yes, we are.
1: Uh, yeah, well, we have to be.
2: <laughs> I, I am sold on that and the PhD. Like, and, you know, it's funny, because not a lot of people in music or metal w- would like put those both in the same sentence, you know? And I that's what I love about it. It's like... And who would put classical and despicable in the same sentence too? (laughs)
3: <laughs> right, well you wouldn't have until you know, it's like, I think the further you get into education, uh, the weirder you get, and the yeah. further you get into music, of course, uh, the weirder you get, because your ears oh, yeah. uh, desensitize themselves, it's like metal if you if you show any normal person death metal, they're going to be horrified by it, because they're not used to it, they can't hear the nuance, they can't hear the detail that's involved, and in, like, say even like, cannibal corpse is hard for people who it's just aren't an
1: assault on the Yeah, they're
3: not indoctrinated into the sound and that's one of the things I love about metal is it takes a lot of effort to listen to metal and that way in a way you kind of keep the posers away yeah you have this uh, this safeguard to make sure that people who don't belong there are not there
1: and in all fairness classical music is too it takes yeah. people think it's it's well, something you know you can just easily listen to put on in the background but not, I don't know. A lot of it, not really.
3: Yeah, if you I get, get into the um, understanding
1: of it, to the, people really get
3: it. If you get into the early 20th century of classical music, things get real weird, real fast, and uh, stuff that can get like, just as extreme as listening to Portal or bands like that. Yeah. Like, very noisy, very crazy stuff. Uh, There's a composer by the name of Charles Ives, very early 20th century, late 19th century. He's still too difficult for people to listen to in, like, the symphonic halls and things like that. Wow.
2: You know what's interesting about that is, if I go back to my younger days when I first started getting into metal and punk, and I remember the first time I heard punk bands that I love now, Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't stand to listen to it. And I was a metalhead, but I couldn't stand to listen to it. I'm like, this is just plain noise in my head, and it was, like, disturbing. And now it's, like, stuff that I love, you know? So yeah. it's kind of amazing. I'll tell you something else. There was one album, you'll probably freak out about this, I had to listen to it like five times. You would never get this chance in 2021. Back then, you did you did this. So I listened to it five times before I liked it. I didn't like it the first five times, and that was AC/DC's Back in Black.
3: Oh, I love that album. So uh, do I. When, well, when that album came out, I remember because I'm in my mid 40s. So when that came out, I was still pretty young, but I was around, and that was considered like the heaviest thing anyone yeah. had heard.
2: Exactly, and I remember listening to. I'm like this is just crap and then (laughs) I just kept listening to it like torture or something and now it's like one of my favorite albums of all time even though I'm like a Bon Scott fan.
3: Yeah, oh, me too. Yes. Oh, I'm 100% Bon Scott. Total. all the way for like, sure.
2: Like to me, Highway to Hell is better than Back in Black for me.
3: Absolutely, I'm a Power. Let There Be Rock, Powerage, yep. Highway to Hell are my three gems.
2: Oh yeah, I used to love Powerage. I mean, that that was one of my favorite too. And I'm kind of like that with a lot of bands, like Maiden. I'm Paul Diano, you know. And I like Bruce, but I'm still Paul Diano.
3: I do. Like I grew up. Definitely, the first album I listened to was Killers. Yes. Actually, so I I grew up on that album, and then when Number of the Beast came out, I think it was just because of the cover and the aesthetic and the imagery. I liked it because as a kid. Yeah. And then Power Slave as well. I got into that, but I definitely grew up on the Paul D'Anno.
2: Oh yeah, like Killers is still one of my favorite all-time albums. You know, and and just the thing that's cool about Maiden is you hear that classical part with them too, both with Diano and with Dickinson years, you know? It's like, it's not just somebody getting up and playing guitar and playing drums like people think, you know, or screaming like people think. And that's another thing, based on what we were talking about before. I remember being younger and it's like, People just listen to the lyrics instead of making these assumptions, you know, because that's what people do with metal. They 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 hear certain things like a lot of 80s metal was about death and destruction. But people thought it was pro death and destruction. It wasn't. It was anti nuclear war. It was Mm -hmm. anti all that stuff. But nobody bothered to actually read the lyrics.
3: Yep. Yeah, uh, people are—you know—people love to jump to conclusions, but you know, those are the people that we don't want listening to this type of music. People who <laughs> are never going to get it, anyways.
2: Totally, totally. So, let's talk about your music and, and about the new album. First, first thing I want to ask is, what made you pick Stravinsky as somebody you wanted to make music based off of uh, his, his excerpts?
3: Honestly, it all goes back to, uh, st- to disney to watching fantasia when i was a kid and my parents took me to go see it in the theater because they'd they'd run it in ottawa where i was born in the theater every year because that movie was made back in the 40s and i was just amazed by everything but especially the dinosaurs in fantasia which was Travinsky's rite of spring and then as i grew up and i kept going back and listening to it and it it was amazing every time i listened to it and i went to college and our college prof in the history class Played it again, and I'm just sitting there and I'm air drumming to the whole piece of music and I'm thinking, oh my God, this would... I could turn this into metal so easily and it would sound so good because it's so heavy, it's primitive, it's dissonant, but it still has that melody that a lot of metal really needs to, yeah, to the sell itself.
1: Like counterpoint yeah, stuff, the
3: intricacy yeah. and everything about it is just like, this has to be done. So for, for the last 20 years, that 20 or more years, that has been a goal of mine to turn that into a piece of metal. And I was waiting for the right people to be in my band that could pull it off.
2: So now on that note, too, let, let's let tell people about the name of the band. And I don't normally talk about names of the bands, but yours probably has some significance that listeners should know about.
3: Yes, it does. So the name of the band, 30 Emulated, 16 Returned. Well, the whole band is based on the aesthetic of the Marquis de Sade's 120 Days of Sodom, which is considered his most infamous no- novel. He was a libertine and a philosopher of the uh, late... uh, 17th century uh, early 18th century at the turn of the French Revolution and he was thrown into the insane asylum because of his writings also because one of the characters included one of his books was Napoleon's wife so of course he got thrown in the slammer for that but his books are based on extreme violence, sadistic violence and actually the term sadism is based off the Marquis de Sade's name and all of our modern day thoughts on sexual deviancy are based on his novels and the way that he, he writes them out and he defines them and I was introduced to this throughout my doctoral studies through a friend named Matt Unger who is a uh, tenured professor at Concordia University and I just really got into his novels and I was like I love basing my music off of novels or stories or movies or things like that and I thought this is perfect because it's disgusting it's <laughs> it's super extreme and super violent it's and super it's perfect disturbing. for metal because you know, so I'm a fan of cannibal corpse and things like that if you're going to write violent music there should be violent lyrics. So I got really into it and then, so that getting back to the name, the name actually comes, it's one of the final lines in his novel 120 Days of Sodom, and it's a tally of the victims who have been immolated, so 30 immolated and 16 returned. 16 victims have been brought back with the Libertines to Paris to further serve their needs as sex slaves.
2: See, that's why I love that you guys got PhDs because (laughs) you know, People that Learning don't un- yeah, well people that don't understand metal don't understand that there is a lot of basis in, uh, in history and metal and literature and stuff like that, and you guys are just you know being the epitome of that and i I just am, i I'm wondering if back in the day, if Stravinsky ever had a vision in two thousand twenty one of an sure. album called the Burial of the Dead. <laughs>
3: Oh, God, no. no. If he had his (laughs) chance, he'd sue the crap out of us. Oh, my
1: gosh, we'd be thrown in jail for this. Yeah,
3: actually, he sued Disney for $50 million back in the day. Wow. Yeah, using his actual piece yeah he in uh, movie
1: fantasia
3: yeah stavinsky as brilliant as he was was kind of a jerk and uh he he had a stipulation that uh none of his music was ever to be arranged differently than what he had and nothing was to ever be changed and he sold the publishing rights to the world's largest publishing company named boozy and hawks now i let them know that i was going to do this and I, I messaged them, and right away they were on the attack, like, we will send our lawyers after you if you do this. It's like, hey, 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 guys, I'm, I'm letting you know I'm trying to do this the right way. Then finally, after a few emails, I calmed them down, and they sent me to the correct copyright uh, websites and stuff where I could get this done. But it's, uh, yeah, Stravinsky would have freaking hated it.
1: That's why we're not releasing a physical copy of the album. We can't, because then we would actually get sued.
2: Yeah, Boozy and Hawks oh, would come after yeah. us for that. Ah. So it's
1: only digitally, yeah.
2: So speaking of that, how can people get the digital version? How can they connect with you guys on social media, uh, website, all that good stuff?
3: So it's on sale at our our Bandcamp. So 30 Emulated 16 Return on Bandcamp. It's only $4 for the whole album. So it's pretty cheap. Uh, You can also listen to us on Spotify, on Amazon, and on iTunes. I think there's a couple others, but I can't really remember them right now.
0: And then, yeah.
3: And then you can also find us on Facebook, of course, and on Instagram.
2: Yeah. Nice. And, you know, you guys originally formed for the purpose of performing your thesis work. And the thesis is actually also available on your Bandcamp page, right?
3: That's correct. So it was at the University of Alberta. I had to do a final thesis project. And I was, you know, as I mentioned, I wanted to do uh, based on the Marquis de Sade. So I did it on his most infamous novel, The 120 Days of Sodom. So that's actually the first EP. And so what I did when I was writing the actual album, I wrote the choreographer with a a professional choreographer at the same time. So the cost... Yeah, uh, Jerry Morita from Alberta. So all the aesthetics, the costumes and all the instruments and the composition were all done at the same time. So it's very much a theatrical piece of music. And that's why when you listen to our music and you hear we have banter in between every movement, the sound effects and things like that, it's all directly related together. And this was all a large plan that took me well over a year to write. And then we premiered it with the first... uh, the first arrangement of the band in Edmonton at a place called the Bohemia, and it was it was sold out. The fire marshal showed up and had to throw half the people out because there was no standing room. It was a pretty crazy night. Yeah. We had there three was. dancers, and there was blood, fake blood everywhere, and it was it was a crazy night.
2: Those are the best nights, right there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, yes. And I love your other band member, band members have some great names here: Father Bones, Disgusting Smith. But what I love even more is, instead of it saying vocals, guitars, drums, bass or, or whatever else, why don't you tell the listeners what, your, what instruments <laughs> I'll put it that way, you guys play. <laughs>
3: Oh, my God, I'm actually going to have to go back and look at what we said we were. Uh, Madame is going to run and get the CD cover, but the idea to do this is uh, actually came from Disgusting Smith, our bass player. It's kind of like a herald back to the old black metal bands. Yeah. Uh, and where they where they would, uh, for example, Cradle, Filth, Nicholas Barker, I think, was batterie, which is the French word for drummer, but they all had all these different uh, names of things. I believe I'm... My flair. No, I'm You're, vomit and Garrett. It, yeah, so it's always like one for the vocals and one for the instrument. So vomit would be my vocals and Garrett would be the instrument. Uh, oh, here we go. She found the CD. And, and then
2: Madame is uh, whips and shrieks. So I don't. That's, I don't even think that needs any explanation.
3: <laughs> no, not really. Mr. Bones and and bellows. Uh, and you know, uh, and then discussing Smith is flare and barks because he has that big deep voice that you hear yeah, on he's the, the CD. Deepest,
1: uh... Vocalist in the band. And That's it was amazing.
3: actually uh, it was actually discussing Smith, who actually uh, named what each of the instruments would be. He just sat down and he thought, what does Madame Champville sound like? Shrieks, because she has a very high voice. What do I sound like? Well, I kind of sound like I'm vomiting. I'm very hard to understand when I'm doing my vocals and things <laughs> like that. So just kind of paired everything up and it just helps to add to the aesthetic and to the visualization of the sound.
2: I, I, well, yeah, I love it. It's total creativity. And that's what I love about it. Like anybody can just get up there and do something. But I think you have to go that extra mile, especially nowadays, 2021. I think music artists have to go way above the extra mile. It's not like the old days.
3: Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, in the, as you know, in the old days, there was only several, you know, it was like maybe a hundred great thrash bands. Nowadays, there's like 20,000 great thrash bands. <laughs> and how are you supposed to find something that you like? Well, I mean, and that's why I think that, you know, we are going to take our time. We're going to continue to expand and to work on our aesthetic and, you know, our look and our sound. But we're going to refine it and build on it because that's what I think is needed nowadays to not just to stick out, but to be uh, the complete package, to be happy with what we do.
2: I love it. Yeah. And I'm a little bit older than you, not much, but you know, so I went to the first Slayer gig ever, the first Metallica Gosh. gig ever. Uh, oh, and so when you mention thrash, I'm thinking, you know, I always talk about the, the, the big four of thrash. They don't sound like they're all in the same genre. Unlike today, where everybody has this like formula, and that's why I was talking about yeah. in the beginning, you know, where you guys have an education in music. Nowadays, it's just like anybody plugs in. It's almost like an algebraic equation to make music, and it, it's not yeah. like the old days. and I think all music should be experimental. Like they have a genre called experimental, but I think back then thrash was experimental. There was no thrash, you know?
3: Absolutely. A hundred percent. And that's why they each had their own sound. You look at Overkill. They have the sound of New Jersey in them. I mean, it's crazy.
2: (laughs) I'm a Jersey boy, so yeah, totally.
3: Nice. Absolutely. Yeah, Actually, they were the first thrash band uh, that I got into. So Father Bones is my brother, and he would get all these tapes ahead of me, and then I would steal them (laughs) and bring them into my room and listen to them. And the first ones that he got were Overkill's under the influence and Megadeth's um, piece sells, but who's buying? So that was really my introduction to like thrash metal.
2: Well, my introduction to Dave Mustaine was at that Metallica gig before there was a Megadeth.
3: Wow, that Whoa. would have been incredible to watch, oh, oh my, my God. God that's so,
2: amazing. So check this out, okay? So I moved from Jersey to California for high school in 1980, which, you know, you couldn't ask for a more perfect time to move to the Sunset Strip, okay? Yeah. And so it's very funny, uh, the story of the Metallica gig, because, and I wish I had it today, so back then in L.A., you know, even the bands were teenagers metallica was teenagers slayer was teenagers so you would go to the gig and then they would come out hang out afterwards you would go over to her house afterwards party all night long it was like this big thing and you know i remember at that first metallica show and i'm sitting near the bar and you know i don't know what i was 15 14 something like that and this dude walks up to me and he starts talking to me that was in the band and he hands me his business card. I wish I had it today. It was a white business card with blue writing. It said Metallica, power metal, Dave Mustaine. <laughs>
1: oh my God.
2: Can you imagine uh, yeah.
3: I remember that I remember when that label power metal meant like Metallica and it like it means yeah. something completely different now. But I remember no, no. in the mid eighties.
2: Yeah, like Metallica was power metal for like a minute, but power metal that they were considered is not power metal today.
3: No, absolutely not.
2: For sure. And, and then, you know, it's funny because, you know, I've had so many experiences like that, and I think about, you know, how today is compared to then, and I'm so I, – I must say I am extremely thankful that I got that experience because that was the beginning of everything you see today. Like, listen – possessed I saw when they started you know wow. like, and that was the beginning of death metal and then, and then okay you ready for this so you know metal blade records yeah so Brian Slagle he's mm-hmm. he was a genius because back then he was a, a clerk at Oz records in the valley And all of us metalheads, which there weren't a lot, okay at that time in history, you know, and we would go to Oz Records and they had all these imports and everything and he was Brilliant because that's when he started Metal Blade Records. And so he would take his bands at on his records and he would promote them at Oz Records as us kids would come in and so my first experience to black metal which i wouldn't even ex- call them black metal today as weird as that may sound was he hands me this album an import album uh, he's like you gotta check this out and you know you know how it was back then you didn't get to hear the music you had to look at the album and say it's cool and i'm gonna buy it and hopefully i'll like it and yeah the
1: cover oh, <laughs> better be good i miss those
2: days yeah right uh, and so I go home and I listen to this, I pull out the lyrics out of the album and I'm reading it. And I literally was scared to death the first time I heard yeah. the album. And it was similar to the Back in Black experience because I kept listening to the album and out and over and over and then I finally ended up loving it. And that album was Venom, Welcome to Hell. Oh, Yes, nice. I, was I
0: was
1: hoping it was Venom. Yeah, there, <laughs> I, and
2: nobody was writing music that satanic there yeah. no you know no. the only
3: modern band i can think of that does anything to that effect is portal that band is still scary as hell
2: <laughs> i love it you know yeah. and, and it is funny because it's like you know everybody used to talk about it. i remember i used to get called a devil worshiper in high school because i'd wear an ozzy shirt and like Really, uh, once you listen to Venom, Ozzy was a pussycat, you know? (laughs) (laughs) He was not the Prince of Darkness next to Venom. No, hell
1: no. But then it's funny.
2: He was a hippie. Oh, yeah, totally. And then it's funny. You go today, 2021, and I listen to the old Venom, and it's like, man, that would be considered like pop music today.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. Like, you know, everyone just throws a little bit of distortion on the guitars and plays the same chord progression and, you know, but yeah, there's it's hard to get scared of things anymore. Like the first I remember first time listening to Rain and Blood scared me. I felt so guilty because I originally (laughs) came from a Christian family. Right. Uh, Obituary, cause of death, scared the crap out of me. The yeah. fun, Well, I the funny part two. was
2: was Tom Mariah was, was a, a Christian all along, you know, and, oh, yeah. and yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. a very devout one now. So that again, another example, like I used to hang out with them, uh, you know, outside the club when they were playing and they would laugh that people thought they were devil worshippers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's great though but you know that's kind of something that we're trying to bring back is like the whole the whole story you know like the costumes something thing? to like scare people again to get you know of course yeah. you have to dig deeper because we're all basically immunized against fear because we've all seen friday the 13th a billion times you know it's hard to get oh, scared those anymore have
1: been pushed way 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 yeah
3: so now strong. we got to push people way harder
2: yeah Yeah. no doubt about it Uh, absolutely and i think you guys are doing it for sure because this is a masterpiece i I have to say and thank you wow
1: that's wow that's thank you so much
2: well i love the combination that it's like really real metal you know i love that you used the word poser earlier that says it all (laughs) And, and you know it's not like it's not like hair metal trying to put classical in their music, it's, this is like real frickin' metal, but you can tell, and anybody that knows anything about theory and music, and like I took music classes in college, like you can tell that this album is not just some people getting up and playing some instruments
3: no absolutely not everything that so you know that's a, an orchestral piece that's been arranged but everything that we write is like a string quartet that's been arranged for a metal band and we have to memorize it on top there's no music allowed on stage so that's yeah.
1: what like chamber musicians though. they always have their sheet music in front of them while
3: well, yeah. we don't not allowed
2: how <laughs> bad
1: would that look yeah right? it's
3: hard to sell it when you have your face in the sheet music
2: yeah oh. especially if you're doing metal <laughs> yeah oh, right. well exactly. that's what
1: I mean how bad would it look if we had our sheet music in front of yeah. us playing yeah it? no
2: no, no doubt and who would know like i remember being in orchestra in in middle school and i wasn't into metal yet like i was into sabbath and stuff like that but you know there wasn't really real metal yet and yeah. uh like who would think i'd be talking to a band right now in 2021 that combine that orchestra type of thing like i should have just continued with it i didn't <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a lot of it's also when you get into um, the upper echelons of school, there's a lot of snobbery against metal and a lot of stigma against metal. Yeah. People don't like it. They don't take it seriously. They think it's a joke. I remember my supervisor, I showed him Tomb of the Mutilated, and he said, well, this is just kind of funny, isn't it? The cover. I'm like, well, I don't really consider that funny. (laughs) And. And I was like, maybe you should listen to the music. These guys are brilliant musicians. Like Jack Owen as a songwriter is out of this world. And that's the other thing that most people don't realize is that a lot of these death metal bands, Cryptopsy, Suffocation, uh, Portal, Megadeth, Dave Mustaine is a genius. These guys are at the same level as genius classical composers. They are out of this world. Their technique, their composition, the structure, the effort that they put into their music is right up there with the great classical composers.
2: Yeah, I put Mustaine as one of the greatest guitarists ever. Like
3: absolutely. And songwriters. You go back in the first um His early albums. Yeah, the especially. first four albums. I mean he's still great, but of course, you know, he's kind of over that hump. Uh, he's still an amazing genius. But oh, yeah. the first four albums, Killing Is My Business, Peace oh. Sells, So Far So Good So What, and Rust and Peace. You can go through that as an academic and analyze it and it blows you away. Just how he intuitively understands the structure of music
1: yeah it's like in the the variation and and all that i i was that some of the first songs i learned uh the first metal songs like i said i came to metal a lot later uh uh dr death introduced me to a lot of it but i was learning i wanted to learn some megadeth and i just couldn't believe it i mean i was in the thick of my like i can't remember was it my uh was it college or something like that and i started like looking at the song structures and playing this and i'm like what did who the hell is this guy like (laughs) how how did he come up with this stuff like it was i'm like I was absolutely blown away. It was like better than a lot of the music I was analyzing and studying at the time.
3: yeah, just I
1: couldn't believe it. Like the early Megadeth. So oh, so yeah,
3: musicianship just of these Jesus. some of these guys. and like, like I said, composing, like they would do very well in a composition school. Like it's out of this world. And they, they just they did this stuff intuitively they could just hear it in their head and and write it and show it to other people it's amazing what these guys do
2: yeah. oh yeah totally and like my favorite metallic album is still Kill 'Em all and everything on there is dave mustaine that you know yeah it, mechanics yes. and four horsemen are the same song
3: yes. absolutely except for the lyrics for mechanics are hilarious well oh. you know
2: mechanics <laughs> was the original
0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Yes, absolutely it is. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it's amazing, right? And I mean, like, for Metallica, my favorite album has to be Justice for All, because it's just... Aesthetically, it's as far as they could take their technical side could possibly go. And I know everyone whines about Lars, but what Lars did on Master Puppets and Justice Furl set up the technical drumming aesthetic for until now. Like everybody nice. still steals Decades from that.
2: Come, yeah. Nice. Uh, see, that's cool stuff to hear. The reason, I, you know, I'm nostalgic. The reason I like Kill 'Em All best is that's that's the original raw. You know, it's funny. I heard uh, I heard Hetfield in an interview saying how much how at the uh, St. Louis Blues, I think, it, or no, the San Jose Sharks they play Seek and Destroy. And he's like, why do they play that song? My my singing, I didn't even know I sing it. I sucked. And like, <laughs> and, and he's like so critical of how his singing was in the Kill Mall and even Ride the Lightning days. Oh. And me, I'm like. What are you talking about, James? I love that, you know, and, wow. and you know that raw, and it was it was just, and it totally had the Mustaine influence because the guitar in Kill 'Em All and a lot of the songs are like, you know. That Mustaine style, you know? Yeah,
3: absolutely. We went through a Metallica and Megadeth binge about like a month ago, and one thing we really noticed on Kill 'Em All is, yeah, the Dave Mustaine guitar style, which is a lot of open string, and then instead of playing power chords, the fifth chords where the fingers are uh, two frets apart, it's a lot of the fourths, yeah, which is the bottom of that power chord, and that's a Dave Mustaine thing that he still uses yeah. to this day, and it's yeah. all over that album.
2: Totally, totally. So it's interesting. Uh, you'll you'll love this. Okay. So me and my friends back in the day, when Ride the Lightning first came out, we were like, if you took Fight Fire with Fire, took it off that album, put it on Kill 'Em All, and you took Jump in the Fire off of Kill 'Em All and put it on Ride the Lightning, then Kill 'Em All would be the perfect album.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I know. I agree. And Ride the Lightning. Really, the only two songs I'm not a huge fan of is Escape and uh, Trapped Under Ice.
2: And oh, yeah. what don't you like about him as, as somebody who is a music, not only enthusiast, but educated theorist?
3: Honestly, I have nothing educated to say about it, except for it just doesn't jive with me. I don't know. <laughs> First time I heard it, I was like, Skip. I don't like this song. Uh, I love every other song. I mean, I'm sick of For Whom the Bell Tolls, but who, who isn't, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love that song, but I, I can say that if it's on the radio, sometimes I will skip it because I've heard it 10 million times.
3: Yeah, exactly. But it's it's a you know it's a great album. I mean, of course, it's a lot softer of an album than Kill 'Em All. But you that's, know, that's why
2: we been... said that. You know, that's why we yeah. were like, "Fight fire with fire" should have been on Kill 'Em All. You know, and it was oh, like, absolutely. And most most of us thrash metalheads back then, we didn't really like Jump in the Fire because it was too mellow. So that's why we wanted it on Ride the Lightning.
3: Oh, it's a cheesy song, right? Like, it's a pentatonic <laughs> riff. Du, 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 du. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty simple song. But whatever, it's catchy, and, you know, they had to make fans somehow.
2: Yeah, there you go. Well, you know, they're a perfect proof of something, you know? So being a teenager, it was like, you know, you use the word poser. We used it a lot, you know? And, and when Metallica yeah. started getting a little soft, We uh, us 25 Metallica fans because that's basically when we used to see him at the Troubadour Like it would be like 25 people at the Troubadour to see Metallica. So we're like, uh, oh fucking posers Forget them (laughs) blah 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 and it's like, you know, this is where they were smart Okay, because a lot of bands thought like that, you know, too. So they wouldn't change but at the end of the day, what did Metallica do? So what, they gave up their 25 core fans and gained millions, and those 25 fans came back anyway. Like, I came back, we all came back, and we're like, okay, you know, type of yeah. thing. But uh, the, the attitude at the time was, you know, oh, don't do that, don't like them, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, that's because you're young and a kid, and it was the beginning of the scene, and it's like you didn't want the scene ruined by commercialism.
3: Absolutely, and they, but also on that album, Ride the Lightning, they kind of created the structure or the formula for future metal albums to come. You know, yeah. the fast intro song, the title track for the second song, the groovy heavy third song, the power ballad for the fourth song. You know, like they, you think about it, Ride the Lightning, Master Puppets, Justice for All, all follows that formula. So they're pretty smart that way, and and it's not like they. They figured out that formula from someone else. They invented it themselves, and everyone else copied them.
2: Yeah, and even they went to doing stuff like literature stuff, like The Unforgiven and Unforgiven 2. And then, like, one of my favorite Metallica songs ever is Nothing Else Matters, which is a ballad. It's not a thrash metal song yeah you know well it's a very
3: catchy song uh but honestly when the black album came out i remember i tried to convince myself for two weeks that i liked that album and then (laughs) i just gave up and even now when i go back i think i prefer load over the black album
2: you know what's funny about that that's why i was referring to when we started calling them poser was the black album because then metal was being played on the radio metal was never on the radio so it's like, what a change, eh? Yeah, because my attitude and all my friends' attitude was if it plays on the radio, I don't want to hear it.
3: Well, it's automatically <laughs> pop music because it's popular, right? And exactly. That's, that's definitions change that way.
2: Yeah. So nowadays it's you know, what you hear on the radio, it just kinda of blows my mind that I could turn on the radio and and actually hear something like possessed on the radio. It kind of just it kind of freaks yeah. me out a little bit.
3: Right? <laughs> That's why we got to just keep getting heavier and heavier and heavier, more and more Stay offensive
1: in the underground.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. We need to go back to tape trading. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. I interviewed a band recently that they actually, their new album, they released on cassette tape because they wanted to bring back the tape trading days.
3: See, I love tapes because like you, I grew up on tapes, but oh, yeah. you remember wear them out and then they start to sound like shit. And oh yeah. It's like, ah, uh,
2: <sighs> How about this? I had 8-track tapes. I had Blizzard of Oz on 8-track. Okay? Oh, my God. Nice. amazing. And you know wow. on the 8-tracks where a song, if it happened in the middle of a song, which it did a lot, it would fade out the song and fade it back in on the next track? That was Mr. Crowley. Like, you never got to hear Mr. Crowley as a full song. It would oh, fade, yeah. <laughs> fade out in the middle of the song and then fade back in.
3: <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I miss A side and B side because that's how like albums were. You know, you would write an album from beginning to end. You would organize it to have an A side and a B side. And on metal albums, there are two completely different things.
2: Yeah, the
1: heads on the A side and the not so heads on yeah, the B side. Yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. And then you could have like Anthrax did and release a whole album of B sides.
3: Yeah, absolutely, yes.
1: and that became a thing too. Yeah, with Milk, Ode to Billy. Oh <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah yep I, and i like and that's one of my favorite anthrax albums actually <laughs>
3: i love that song. oh it's great i saw i saw them on that tour actually they opened up for iron maiden that's when iron maiden uh did away with all their stage props and everything for that no prayer for the dying tour
2: oh wow that's cool corrosion very-
3: conformity opened up the whole show that was amazing
2: okay now now that you brought that one up are you ready for this Okay. So I have interviewed Corrosion and Conforme. I've interviewed both Mike and Woody, and they both remembered this, which blew my mind. So I was at the first ever crossover show. It was at the Sun Valley Sportsman's Lodge in L.A. Now, that's an Elks Lodge. There was mm-hmm. no security, and it was the <laughs> first time ever you would have metal and punk in one building because before that, if you were long hair and went to a punk show, you got your ass beat. And if you're yeah, a yeah. punk and went to a metal show, you got your ass beat. And I always thought it was stupid anyway because we were getting our ass beat by the jocks in school. We should have teamed up together, you know? Right, uh, yeah. But so this show was three metal bands and three uh, hardcore punk bands. The metal bands were Possessed, Dark Angel, and Savage Grace. Nice. And the punk bands, I can't remember what the third one was, but Suicidal 10 was one yeah. be- before oh. they were, you know, crossover when they were pure punk Yeah. and COC when they were hardcore punk.
3: Oh, man. Yeah. I love Suicidal and I love COC. Oh, Fantastic me, bands. Me
2: too. And I was like, so... This was the most insane show I've ever been to, and I've been to a lot, but because there was no security and first time ever punk and metal together, like there was no safe place to hide for sure. And there were <laughs> there were people diving off the rafters, like this was an Elks Lodge, so it had this high ceiling with rafters and people were like climbing <laughs> up and diving off of there. Like all you do- yes. saw was flying people during the whole gig. and. It was just, the way it should be. Yeah, brutal pits. It was amazing. So it was funny when I was doing the interview with Woody, and I'm like, I'm going to tell you about this show I went to. You probably don't remember. And as soon as I started talking, he's like, it was an Elks Lodge, right? Man, that is the most epic show ever. <laughs> so even, <laughs> even they remembered it.
3: That's crazy. That would be a crazy show to watch, man. Yeah. And right now, we've got awesome hardcore thrash music and stuff. We lived in Edmonton for our PhD, so we saw a lot of hardcore thrash shows there. Nice.
1: Yeah.
3: I love yeah.
1: it. Yeah. A little tiny venue that was just up the street from us, too. The, so the st- no, pawn shop.
3: Yeah, the pawn shop. It's
1: gone now.
2: Well, we have a pawn shop here in West Palm Beach, and it's gone, too. But it was more like hip-hop. Ah, oh. <laughs> so. yeah,
1: no, not quite. No, this is definitely like Napalm played there a few times. Nice, uh, Origin
3: Disciples play, of Power.
1: Disciples of Power played there. I love uh, it. Uh, yeah, we so saw the band Obscura. Yeah, there was, there was a ton of like crazy bands we saw playing there. It was, it was amazing. Yeah,
2: I love it. I love it. Yeah, and I love your yep. new album. I recommend everybody go out and get it. Uh, you guys are amazing. You're like, it's. Really, really well composed music, but it's also just brutal, badass, like, you know, just you just want to really knock it dead.
3: Oh, thank you so much uh, we really appreciate it it's been a yeah. great conversation man i love hearing yeah. all these stories from you
2: yeah but we'll we... have to have more in the future i got lots of stories
1: <laughs> we <Sweet>. are <laughs> probably gonna have a lot to edit out of this interview because we've got 45 minutes now but
2: uh, i'm keeping the God. whole thing i normally don't go that long but we're going to keep the whole thing because whenever it's a Sweet. good conversation might as well keep it going that's Absolutely. Amazing. Great. <laughs> well, thank you for the great music uh and thank you for being on The Adventures of Pipe Man.
1: Well,
0: and thank you so much for having us. This thank was, you. Yeah. Thanks for inviting us. Yep. For sure. Thank you for listening to The Adventures of Pipe Man on W4CY Radio.